You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Lord, I thank you that you're here. We ask for your presence to invade this place and that you will speak powerfully. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, so we um, are on this topic of prayer, and I've this is probably like my third or fourth week here talking about prayer. And I, as promised, I told you I was going to be the little drummer boy. I was going to get my prayer drum and rum, pum, pum, pum until we are embodying being a people of prayer. And so uh, I'm going to just continue on the same theme, but I'm going to take a little different uh, approach uh, towards prayer tonight. And I actually want to contextualize prayer uh, in the process of what the Lord has us in as a community and, and in our own individual life. So I have some thoughts I'm going to share with you because I truly believe uh, that prayer is the most important thing uh, that we can do. It's, it's just, it's the beginning. Uh, until we're a people of prayer and we learn to live and abide in the presence of God, everything else we're doing, according to Jesus, is worthless. You know, and so it's just, it's just so strong in my heart. And I feel the Lord just saying, continue to just sow seed and lay a foundation that we be a people of prayer truly in the way that we live our lives, that this is embodied. And we pray in the same way as, as, as the rabbi, Jesus, who is discipling us to become like him. So uh, I, I have some thoughts, and I, I want to share a little bit out of the life of Joseph and kind of look at his story to contextualize the season that I believe we are in as a church. And so Joseph was called as a young man. He was 17, they believe, when he started having his dreams. He had favor on his life. He had a robe of many colors. He was given prophetic promises from the Lord. And, uh, you know, he was called. And though he was called at 17, he had to go on quite a journey to get to the fulfillment of that call. Right? And many are called, but few are chosen. And I don't think that's because God doesn't choose everybody that he calls. We're all called. But the chosenness is part of getting to that journey of, of fulfillment. And it's a long journey. And I want to key in specifically that Joseph, we know he gets sold into slavery. But then he finds himself in these middle years. It was about 13 years from called to fulfilled. And in these middle years, the bulk of it was in Potiphar's house and then in the prison. And in both of those places, he was in seasons of preparation, right? So he was in preparation. And I believe that we, as a church, in a similar manner, are in a season of preparation, right? We, we've been called. Every church is called by God. Riverhouse is called by God. We've been given promises. We've been given a vision. We've been given favor. And he's placed these things on us. But we have a journey to walk to seeing the call we've received be fulfilled. And I actually believe that the call that God's given this church, uh, is, it's, it's too big. It, won't, it, it will take at least, um, you know, it's decades that the Lord's looking at. Right? He's not looking like two, three years and let's do some quick gizmos to grow the church. and do the, Like he's thinking generationally. Right? When he called Abraham, he saw Isaac, he saw Jacob, he saw Joseph, he saw, right, when God, he, 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 when he speaks, he's speaking generationally because he's all about family. It's all about legacy. And so um, 
you know, I, I hope that Riverhouse is still stepping in and, and fulfilling promises that we're receiving now when I'm dead, honestly. And, you know, but we have to have the right perspective and we have to recognize that there's a process, right? So, so we sometimes, because we live in such an instantaneous culture, like the water we swim in in our culture is instant gratification, like microwave it, you know, and even like, you know, uh, there's like machines you can buy now that you just stick the pack in there and it makes you like a fruit smoothie. You know, you've seen those? It's like, you know, you didn't realize they used to have to like plant seeds in a garden and like water them for months, get the strawberries, get the peaches, milk the cow, you know, all of it, and then put it all together, chop it up, blend it, make a smoothie. Like, you know how much work used to go into making a smoothie? You know, now we can just get them like wham, you know, and, and, that's great. I'm not saying that that's bad. Praise God for instant smoothies. I would probably never drink one if you had to do all of that work. Like, can I get an amen? Right? But the reality is, though that this technology has done this, it's short-circuited a lot of our processes to, to get things a lot quicker. Though that, that's beautiful, and technology is good at that, technology is not a replacement for the slow work of grace of the preparation of the person of the heart. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's in Romans 8, right? So God wants us to actually look like Jesus. That's not a fast work. That is a slow work that takes a journey of preparation, right? And in preparation, the temptation, well, this is, this is, this is the reality of preparation. In preparation, we've been given the promise but we can't yet see the magnitude of what the fulfillment is, right? So there's no way that Joseph had even a glimpse of how great the fulfillment of the promise he received as a 17-year-old was. There's no way that he would see himself standing before the most powerful leader of the most powerful nation on the earth and being exalted to his right hand. There's no way he fathomed the implications of what this promise fulfilled was going to look like. Does that make sense? Greater and more abundant than anything we could ask or imagine. No eye has seen or ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Right? So we are called as a people. We are called as Christians. We are called as the sons and daughters of God. We are called as Riverhouse Church. And we do not even fathom the magnitude and the implications of what promise fulfilled will look like. This may be decades down the road, but regardless, I just want to see it because we can't fathom how great it is. It's generational. He sees your children. He sees your grandchildren. He sees legacy. But in preparation, you can't see this. You can't see this with natural eyes. You can see it in faith on a good day. But you can't see it. And in preparation, you can't see that. The promise just seems somewhere in the past. And now I'm just sitting here in Potiphar's house just doing these things that seem abstract. And the temptation in preparation is that you, you disengage from your, from your discipleship. You disengage from what you've been given. Eh, it's not that big a deal. Do I really have to give it all? Do I, do I really have to press in? Do do I, do I feel like praying today? Do I feel like coming to church this week? I went the last two weeks in a row. Do I need to go this week? i got to drive 25 minutes to get to Riverhouse. You know, it's so funny. Like, hey, you better, like, cherish those 25 minutes because half of California, I heard, is moving here. So uh, in California, 
it takes 25 minutes to go to the grocery store, <laughs> you know, and they're all coming here. So pretty soon it's going to be like 25 minutes, but right? Anyways, that's the nine point. It takes 25 minutes to come to church. Like, do I really want to go? Do I really want to go to Tuesday morning prayer? Do I really need to be in the word? Do I really need to engage? You know, I don't really like my ball. I don't like my job that much. It just seems, I'm just going to go through the motions and get my paycheck. Do I really need to do all my work heartily as for the Lord, not to men, knowing that he's the one who sees and will reward me? Do I really need to fully engage or can I just go through the motions, right? The temptation in the preparation season is that you, you forget because you can't see, you forget that you're actually on a linear journey to promise fulfilled, and you start buying into you're just on this merry-go-round. Yeah, I'm just, just doing it. I just go to church week after week, and sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I just, I tithe sometimes, but not, right? I just, I'm just kind of inconsistent. I do, if I feel like it, I'll do it. I'm not bad. I mean, I'm better than everybody else, but I'm just, I'm still, doing, no, right? I'm just not full in. Right? That's the temptation and preparation. And the reason is because you can't see. You can't emotionally attach to promise fulfilled. You don't feel the inspiration. Right? Joseph wasn't in Potiphar's house going, man, I know the promise, the fulfillment's coming. It's like almost here. No, you can't. That's part of what preparation's about. God shields you from being able to see the fulfillment because he's actually creating capacity for you to walk by faith, not by sight. And it's faith that moves the heart of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For if we must come to him, we must know that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. But he doesn't want us to get external affirmation. He wants us to grow an internal culture within us that is fortifying us so that we can stand before Pharaoh one day. Right? We always talk about mission in Boise as it is in heaven. Right? In order for that vision to be fulfilled means that God needs his people fortified with the character, which is the inner development of a life of prayer, fortified with an internal reality that I know the presence of God, I'm attached to him so that he can trust us, that we look like Jesus, that he trusts us with the character that we can stand before Pharaoh, not with self-promotion or self-ambition, but with, it's not me, it's God alone, I can serve, I'm equipped. Right? But that's a process. Right? And so each one of you... I, I, I'm not going to talk about the external development because you might be in a, in a job situation or things that don't seem to line up with the fullness of what you've been called, promise fulfilled. But you can't, you can't negate this and look like this is just some, oh, I'm just going to do it, whatever, half-hearted. No, you're missing the grace that's available. Right? The preparation is important. What if Joseph was like, you know, I don't really want to engage. You know, why, why do I need to do this? So I, you know, I'm just going to just survive Potiphar's house. Or perhaps God wanted him to learn how to interact with Egyptian elites. Or perhaps God wanted him to learn how to administrate people. Perhaps God was teaching him something. You see what I'm saying? So I want to say is don't discount your external preparation. And that's going to be unique for all of you. You're in, you know, we could sit down and have coffee and we could probably speak into the certain dynamics of how God's equipping you and the place he's called you in life. I don't want to talk about that tonight. I'm talking about prayer. So that, there's an external preparation. There's also an internal preparation. And the internal preparation is that God actually wants to grow you through a life of prayer so that you live with hope, peace, and joy that's not rooted in your circumstances, but that's rooted in Christ who lives above your circumstances. Right? So in preparation, right, I have a promise, but now I'm in this journey of all the mundane, and I can't see the fulfillment of the promise. Right? Oftentimes we think we have hope. We have hope because it's like, oh, my circumstances are looking really good, and I can see 
is going to lead to boo. Hope. No, that's not hope. Right? That's you thinking that I can control my circumstances and I can push myself in there. God actually kind of kills that, squishes it. Right? He doesn't want that. Right? That's like Joseph in the jail. He interprets the, the, guy, the, the butler's dream or whatever. Butcher, maybe. Baker, one of them. Right? And, and what does he say? Like on his way, I was like, hey, hey, hey. When you get to Pharaoh, remember me. Tell, tell him what I did. Right? It's like this last ditch of trying to control. Right? God actually wants to remove us where, we have, where we're so dependent upon our circumstances. He wants us to be able to live in peace even in the midst of conflict. He wants us to live in abounding joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances because we're living in Jesus. Right? And he wants us to not just be a theory or some theology based on Paul's doctrines of in Christ. He wants us to be a lived reality of abiding in him, living in Christ, conscious of the presence of God, where in his presence is fullness of joy. A peace that surpasses understanding, abounding hope, because he's the God of all hope. Right? What happens when we disengage from the preparation process is that we don't, we don't engage with God. We just kind of drift. And when we drift, we actually lose our connection with hope, peace, and joy. And particularly when it comes to hope, it's a scary place to come to church or to pray or read your Bible on a consistent basis or even an inconsistent basis void of hope. Because hope deferred makes the heart sick. And hope, we think of hope like, I hope something happens. I hope, I hope church is good today. I hope the worship songs are my favorite three. I hope. That's not hope. Hope, biblical hope, is a confident expectation of God's goodness coming into your life. That is hope. On Christmas morning, in my family, you know, I'm not a morning person. Except for one morning a year, I was not cranky, and I would jump out of bed as sprite as could be. Which morning was it? It was Christmas morning. You know why? Because I was full of hope. I was just so dang convinced of Santa's goodness that I didn't see it. Because you don't hope in what you see. You hope in what's unseen. I couldn't see, but I had a feeling when I went downstairs, there was something good waiting for me in that tree. God is better than Santa. <laughs> you know what's funny? I've preached this a number of places, and it's always the same. Everyone's like, amen. It's like, what do you guys got ish with Santa for? <laughs> Anyways, it's just funny. It's like the biggest reaction every time I say it. God's better than Santa. And he's the father of lights who gives without variation or shifting shadow. He has revealed himself to mankind very consistently from the beginning of Genesis and to today. That he is good and he gives good things again and again and again. His mercies are new every morning. Ephesians 1 says he's lavished us with grace. If you do a word study on that lavished, it's an endless outpouring, an endless supply. Ephesians 2, when you were dead in sin, he made you alive with God, with Christ. So that for the ages to come, he could make known to you the riches of his grace and kindness towards you. He is a good God. We have reason to abound in hope. 
He pursues us every day. He's speaking to our hearts. My sheep, hear my voice. Put my spirit inside of you. The spirit jealously desires the temple to dwell within. He made you the holy of holies. He washed you with his blood. He shed his blood on a cross so that you could come into communion with him. Why are we not waking up full of hope? Why aren't we praying with hope? Why aren't we gripped? Because we're failing to engage with our preparation. I was in Israel uh, years ago, me and my brother, and I don't really know exactly what we thought was going to happen when we went there, because we went with a one-way ticket. We had no plan. (laughs) Definitely, I thought revival was coming to Jerusalem. And uh, on the second day, we were there. uh, We were walking. uh, We we were staying right outside the old city at at a church. And uh, the Damascus Gate kind of has a big amphitheater of stairs that kind of come down to it on all sides. And we were kind of standing at the top of the stairs, and all of a sudden, some Islamic youth started kind of rallying, got angrier and angrier, started, like, throwing bottles. We're like, wow, this is kind of crazy. Never seen, like, mob, you know? And uh, next thing I know, like, IDP jumps out of the gate and just starts shooting at them with these, like, stun grenades. And it sounds like bombs are going off. Boom, 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 boom. Me and my brother are like, what's happening right now? But we're stupid. And so we're just like, hey, let's see what, like, where they went. So we start kind of just, like, walking. Like, we're keeping a safe distance. We're not that stupid. But we're, like, walking. And all of a sudden, we kind of hear, like, noises loud. And next thing we know, we're uh, surrounded by a stampede of uh, Islamic youth being chased by the IDP being shot at with rubber stun grenades. And we're running for my life up this back alley, think sm- so smoky from all the explosions I couldn't see. I turned the corner. There's this car. And I just jumped and slid under that thing, put my head in my my arms and said, God, don't let me die. I really wanted an American flag to be like, no, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it's big brother. Did not have one. So anyways, adrenaline high. <laughs> and after the high comes the low. And that was the next morning when I woke up and was like, okay, what am I doing here? And I think all my notions of bringing revival were completely squashed. So I was like, I am in something that's a lot bigger bigger than me. So I thought that was funny. Um, anyway, so I'm sitting there like low, like, whoa. It kind of spooked me, you know. And I was praying, and I just was like, okay, Lord, why am I here? And uh, he said, I want you to pray. And I was like, yeah, okay, but, like, why am I here, though? And he was like, I brought you here to pray. And I was like, no, Lord, like, what will I do after I pray? <laughs> and, and I felt it so strong. And he was like, no, no, I don't think you get it, Jordan. He said, I, I want you to pray. So I want you to pray in the morning. I want you to pray in the afternoon. I want you to pray in the evening. And to be honest, I felt like I just got put in spiritual jail. I was like, wait, what? So I was like, okay. And then my brother woke up and I said, hey, dude, I got to tell you something. He's like, what? I was like, God told me that us, (laughs) we're supposed to pray like morning, noon, night. And he's like, dang it. And he said, God told me the same thing last night. And so we, uh, we started doing it. And, uh, 
to the point that there were uh, many days that we would uh, we'd take watches in the night, two, three hours, and one of us would sleep, and then we'd wake the other one up, and we're just praying, and took, took it seriously. I mean, it felt like a sentence, but I didn't have many options, and uh, we'd wake up in the morning, we'd pray a couple hours on our own. Uh, we'd go to this Baptist prayer house that we'd be at usually for a few hours, make good friends with the missionaries there. Then we'd walk the old city and pray. Then there was kind of like a charismatic prayer house we'd go to. They had more flags than the Baptist. <laughs> Just a few. Um, and then we'd go like sometimes the Mount of Olives and we'd go back and we just prayed. And as I persevered through that, it was about three months of that. And, you know, I, I don't share this in any way to like puff up. I'm just saying I persevered and it was drudgery. It felt difficult. Uh, there was, it was like, what am I doing? What's going on? But as I just kept persevering and just kept going and just being faithful to show up, I began to experience God's presence in ways. It, it was, you know, I had experienced God's presence a number of times in my life leading up to that. I remember the first time I was in sixth grade. Um, it was morning devotions before um, I was going to school with my mom. And she just said, George, I, I feel God's presence here. And I want you to just open your arms and say, you know, you come Holy Spirit, something like that. I remember my legs were crossed and I was, this was my devotion posture. And I opened my legs and I unopened my arms and I just began crying really hard. And I knew that there was love that I was experiencing. And I had, you know, a number of experiences that were, they were intermittent. And in this season, it was like I just entered in and then stayed. And there was this consciousness of God's presence where it became real. And in Christ wasn't just a theological term. And hearing his voice wasn't just a myth for far off. Like, I began hearing his voice. I would ask questions and I would get responses, things that I did not know. It was like I was having a conversation which is what I read biblical Christianity to be like. My sheep follow me because they know my voice. So things got real in that season as persevered and were faithful. And this is the thing about prayer. I think a lot of times we, we try and we give up so quickly and we don't really persevere because prayer can't be taught on a stage really well. I, there's certain instructions that we can receive, but the heart and the spirit of prayer can only be caught. It can only be experienced. And I believe praying with people is a discipling experience, but there's something that just when you get intimate with the Lord yourself, something happens that's a miracle, and it awakens something in you, and nobody can take you there except you. And it's a choice that you have every single day of your life. Am I, am I going to... To, to create the space, and am I going to put in the time? And even if it feels like drudgery, and even if it feels like I don't know what's going on, and even if I, if I don't know what I'm doing, it, it doesn't matter. Do you just keep showing up? You know, do you just keep showing up? I, I read an article years ago uh, by uh, Ray Allen, who is a famous basketball player. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the history of the NBA. And in honor of the NBA Finals, which are happening right now, I feel like it was necessary to bring something up with a basketball analogy. Go Warriors. If you know the score, don't tell me. But he was one of the best shooters in the history of the NBA, Hall of Famer. And it was an article where he was writing about 
what distinguished, in his opinion, the good and great players from champions. And he said it was like a very, he said, this isn't going to like have an appeal. This isn't going to be flashy what you'd want. He said, but it's the little things. He said that what distinguishes the called from the chosen are the little things. He said it's doing the little things every single day, being faithful to show up and do the little tiny things, the little tiny movements, the little tiny drills, the little just faithfully doing the little things day after day after day after day. He said that's what creates excellence and that's what creates greatness. There was a, I read another article one day where it was a coach of his talking about his work ethic. And he said, I used to always watch. He would, uh, he would go, and he said, preseason, he said, for hours. He would, he would go, he would do this drill where he'd lay under a basket. He would get up on his feet as quick as he can, sprint to the sideline um, backwards, backpedal. And then he would land right between, with about a two-and-a-half-foot space between the three-point line and the outer bounds. He would land, get a ball shot, and he would put the shot up. So he would just do that, repeat, repeat, repeat. And uh, in the NBA Finals, um, one of the most iconic shots in the history of basketball, end of the game, his team was down uh, three, I believe, and uh, shot went up, he was down under the key, he get all tossed with people, the ball goes out, he gets up, sprints back on a backpedal, right to that spot, gets the ball, goes up and shoots it, one of the most iconic shots in the history of the NBA. Why do I say this? That is what prayer is like in so many ways. You know? This just doesn't seem to make sense. How do I know? What am I doing? What, what, like, it it doesn't feel significant. It doesn't, it just, this seems like drudgery. This just seems like discipline. I don't really feel like doing this right now. It's not about feelings, right? It's about being faithful, right? And this is the reality. Jesus is either Lord or he's not, right? And if you're, have prayerlessness in your life, your actions are communicating a contradicting message to what you may profess. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. But I'll say, depart from me, you men of lawlessness. I never knew you. When Jesus went up on the mountain, spent the whole night, he called the 12 to himself and he called them first that they would be with him. And then that they would go preach. Right? The first call of the disciple is intimacy. And if we say that Jesus is Lord of our lives, but we are void of intimacy with him, we're missing our first job, our assignment, just to be with him. Right? And intimacy doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't come with an agenda. It just takes time. You know, it's like how uh, you're not supposed to, like, get engaged on your first date. Some people do. <laughs> hi -ya. That's what my great-grandma used to say. hi -ya. Right? It takes time. Right? Because you don't, if you come with an agenda... To engage on your first date. So guys, you should take some notes right now. Right? Or girls, maybe you should too. It freaks the person out. Right? It's like, no, it's not how it works. You just come and there's a space for knowing to happen. Right? You're creating a space for knowing, for intimacy. And um, it's that space that Jesus requires as part of our discipleship.
right? And if we'll be faithful to do the little thing, to carve out the hour, day after day after day. I don't feel like it doesn't matter. I don't think, I just, no, day after 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 day, and I'm just gonna be faithful to it. Doesn't matter if it feels great or not. Doesn't matter if it feels like an epiphany or if it feels like drudgery. Just, I'm gonna be faithful because Jesus is Lord, and I'm gonna seek you, and I'm gonna create space. Right, what happens, one, is we begin to experience and know his presence. There will come a moment where you begin to tap into his presence. Right, like, if God's presence was a river, my first, you know, years in Christ were like, I'd like get in the river and gonna go out and do it, and then I'd get in the river and like, you know, it was like every once in a while. And, I, and as I was more consistent, I learned to just get in the river and stay in the river and stay in the river. Right? So we're growing in this, right? So you begin to grow in a peace that can't be shaken by circumstances. You begin to experience a joy and a contentment that, that nothing else in the world can satisfy. You begin to have hope and an expectation of to hear his voice and connect with him. And it becomes right, more, uh, a deeper and more beautiful relationship, right, which is the same as it would be with any person. The more time you spend, the more you'll know. The more you pursue, the more you will know. Right? And, and you grow. Right? And, and that internal process of preparation, right, of being connected with the presence of God, is then... When Jesus sees that, we're then ready to stand before the pharaohs. We're ready to stand before anyone because we're equipped by his presence. And so his presence has to become something real in our lives, not just a theory, not just theology, not just a great idea. We have to recognize that when we're in his presence, that's where we have access to all the things we need to navigate life. Right? And we have to recognize that when we're not in his presence, this is Jesus' words, not mine. Your Christianity is fruitless. Your ministry is ineffective. Your striving isn't producing anything of kingdom value. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say, even though your motives are really good and you want to do good things for me, right? Jesus doesn't want us to live our life for him. He wants to live his life through us. Right? And when we become intimate with him, vine connected to a branch, the nourishment of the vine begins to flow through our lives. His life begins to flow through our lives and fruit begins to be born. Right, people sometimes ask me, sometimes they just look at me funny, but they say, how are you doing what you're doing at your age? And I don't really know how the fruit, I don't know what the ministries and the church and the doors that have opened, I don't know how those things have taken place, but the one thing that I can tell you is I've done a few things very faithfully for about a decade now, and they don't change. Like, it's, it's like, sometimes I'm like, is this it, Lord? Like, am I doing everything? Do I need to add some new, like, things? And it's just, I seek him. I seek him, and I go to the word for the answers to the questions of my heart. 
I spend time in prayer, I journal, and I process when I have disturbance, when I have questions, and I just seek him. I seek him. I try to live, truly. My aim each day that I got breath in my lungs is I want at the end of the day to be able to look back at that day and say the way I live today tells you that you're the pearl. You're the most valuable thing in my whole life, not, not what I say on a stage in front of people, not what I profess, not what I confess to people, but what my actions actually tell you, Lord. The way I spend my time and my energy and the best of me, I want it this day to just be a, a worship unto you. And uh, I would say most days I go to sleep with that satisfaction. Not every day. And uh, I'm trying to get to where every hour I could do that, and I got room to grow, honestly. There's still emails that get me, but anyways, God's presence is not to be a, a theory. It's to be a real experience thing. Moses in Exodus 33, he's tired and exhausted from leadership. We would derive this from the fact that God <laughs> tells him, I'll give you rest. We didn't ask for it. But he's praying. And he says, in verse 12, he says, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. Moreover, you've said, I, I've known you by name, and you found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I've found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider that this nation is your people. And God replied, my presence shall go with you and I'll give you rest. And then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, don't lead us up from here. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not by your going with us? so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people upon the face of the earth. What makes us unique, what distinguishes Christianity from other religions and makes it something more than just a moral code is that we're a people of presence. We're aware, consciously aware of his presence. And this is the prayer, the inner preparation, is simply the work of teaching us to become aware of his presence. There's a man named Brother Lawrence. He wrote a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. He's a German monk. And people would, uh, they would travel by horseback. He was alive in the 1600s. They'd travel by horseback hundreds of miles to watch the man do dishes. Because as he did dishes, he did them with this conscious awareness of the presence of God. And people would marvel just at the peace, at the presence. They wanted to behold God's presence on this man. Because he cultivated a life of prayer. And I like that it was to do the dishes. It makes it a little more practical, you know? I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And 
you know, when we close our eyes, our other senses actually get heightened. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we struggle with God's presence because like, well, I just, you know, I can't see you. And that is true most of the time. But I just want you to, right now, with your eyes closed, I just want you to become aware of the presence of the people that are around you. You don't need your eyes to do that. As human beings, we're, we're actually hardwired for connection. And so we're very sensitive to the presence of people. We can hear breathing. Sometimes you can just sense people. Right? And we, we know intuitively some people have very peaceful presence. Some people have an anxious presence. Some people have a joyful presence. We're really good at recognizing presence. But the person that we were most intimately and perfectly designed to recognize and connect with it is the lover of our soul. And Jesus. So even though we can't see him with our natural eyes, when we really still ourselves, we can become quite conscious of him. So I just want you for a few moments to just still your heart and become aware of Jesus. It may be peace. It may be a whisper in your heart. Maybe conviction that grips you. It may be hope, expectation. Maybe a joy that bubbles up inside. Can be a lot of things. But deeply, your whole being was created to recognize Him. space that we create to be with him the more we actually train ourselves to become aware of him so Jesus I pray tonight you make us more aware of your presence. I pray tonight, Holy Spirit, that you'll convict us of all the little things that we're to do day after day, the disciplines of being a disciple. I pray, God, that you'll find here people that are faithful, committed, disciplined, and stable in their faith.
Lord, we don't want to be like many people who perish in the wilderness. Not because they weren't called, but because they disengaged from their season of preparation. Because they lacked integrity and faithfulness and discipline and the little things of becoming a disciple. Lord, we want our whole lives to proclaim to you that you are the Lord of our lives. We want every day to be a, an act of worship unto you. We want to be a people of your presence, God. We want to be a people of intimacy. We want to be a people of prayer, a house of prayer. We want to be fruitful branches that know you. We want to know you. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.